0: Our guest today is Elizabeth Meaders. Ms. Meaders is a retired New York City school teacher with 40 years of service, who has amassed the world's largest private collection of African-American artifacts, more than 20,000 items. The collection is up for auction in its entirety. That's right, she's not breaking it up. On March 15th through the Guernsey Auction House in New York. Some of the items in her collection include Civil War rifles and bayonets used by African-American soldiers rare and historic war medals, a Bill Pickett saddle, signed letters by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a Joe Louis championship belt, and so, so much more. Ms. Meeters' collection is unrivaled and our conversation today will shed a light on her passion and the determination she had in building it. Ms. Meeters, at 90 years old, remains a teacher at heart and pulls no punches. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Elizabeth Meters. Ms. Meters, thank you again for, for joining us today. We're so
1: excited to be able to talk to you um, before really what's going to be a, a historic auction in about a, in about a week. I, I guess the, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is the inspiration behind your collection. Where did it start and what, what inspired you to start that collection?
2: Well, Ms. Um, Fez, I think because we are both teachers, we both know that we can develop a history story from an artifact or from ephemera. And so I think I would have to say that my love of history came when I was introduced to Egyptology and the whole idea that a tomb, King Tut's tomb, was loaded with uh, untouched items which became historical relics, but every one of them had a story connected to it. And I think that just knowing that you could find a historical item, whether it be in paper or artifact, three-dimensional form, that there was a story connected to it. And I think I'm a little bit of a storyteller as well as a teacher. So those two things appeal to me very greatly.
1: I, I know that, you know, the collection has a, obviously a personal uh, connection with you. I read somewhere that you kind of started a little bit with Jackie Robinson that he kind of inspired you in some ways and and you started collecting some Jackie Robinson memorabilia. Is that
0: true? Well,
2: you know, I think that's what you call crush having crush on a superstar and at a certain (laughs) age, you know, that seems to be a normal part of growing up. And of all the possible sports and celebrity superstars, he appealed to me the most because I had three sisters, and we were all tomboys. We were all very much into sports. So the very fact that an African-American could now be seen in a manner in which he was profiled in a positive way, that really appealed to me. So I began doing what young people do when you don't have much money. I began making scrapbooks about Jackie Robinson mainly consisting of what is free. Uh, And then maybe I advanced to actually buying magazines. And then when I could afford it and when I was older, I began to go to sports shows, specifically looking for Jackie Robinson. But when you go to these formal sports shows, dealers will also have things that don't have anything to do with the theme of the show. And so at some of these shows, I began to see military things because most people who collect sports, they're into uh, masculine things. So at the sports shows, I began to notice things that related to military, and I kind of switched my allegiance from sports and Jackie Robinson to military. And so the more I sampled what was out there, the more addicted I became as a history collector.
1: And I I know you you talked about, you know, being fascinated with history. And obviously the collection has a a special meaning to you because you are an African-American woman. What does it mean to you to be like the steward of this, you know, the world's largest private African-American collection artifacts, right? Did you see yourself like being on a mission?
2: Well, you know, this was purely a labor of love, a private endeavor. It's just that, my level of passion was probably higher than most people. And because I was so passion-driven, I you know, made this like a full-time occupation. When I wasn't out looking for things physically, I would be home looking through catalogs. And when you look through catalogs, none of them are specific to African-American history because very, very few dealers handle African-American materials because they have no market for it. So why would they invest money and use their space and energy for a product that they really didn't know what they were going to do with? So mm-hmm. it always has been difficult to acquire African-American materials because they never were you know, that easily available. But every way that you could find material, I followed that road, because I was very goal oriented, and after a while, my vision grew, and I didn't just want to document one area of African American history. I wanted to develop the whole picture.
1: And then you have so and like you said, uh, your collection really uh, goes through you know slavery, pre um, I guess uh, pre Civil War as well. Yeah, dating, dating back to the 1700s all the way to the civil rights movement and beyond. Do so you really have a, like you said, you're telling a story with your collection. I'm wondering how you feel about that. You know, because there's two camps that I've come to find out. There's there's some people that want nothing to do with it, right? They want nothing to do with racist propaganda as an artifact. And then there's others that view it as a very uh, vital part of history and a way of uh, sort of as a reminder. What's your take on that?
2: Well. One of the points that I make regarding my collection is the fact that it is a knowledge gap filler. And when I say that, I'm referencing the fact that African American history was completely left out of the nation's history books. This Mm -hmm. is almost a crime against the people because by a unique fluke of history, African Americans are the Americans with the longest history footprint of any nationality in this country. Because African Americans were in America in the 1700s when the country was being created, whereas other Americans, the only Americans here in 1700s, were American Indians, African Americans, and people from the English commonwealth the people from the English Commonwealth, as they went up the history timeline, their numbers begin to uh, diminish because they begin to intermarry, so they don't keep their national complexity. Whereas in the 1800s, immigrants begin to come to America in large numbers. But the main point is that they weren't here until the 1800s. But African Americans were here in the 1700s, and we are the only group in large numbers that can say that we take our history from the 1700s up to the present time. Other nationalities have to start their history contribution in the 1800s, and that's a fact of tremendous significance that is never woven into the American history story.
1: Absolutely. You know the history so well, you know, the collection tells a story. Um, And you say you've you've traveled, you know, you've you've met different people Um, as you've amassed the collection. You've met different people and you've been able to tell your story. Could you give me a little highlight, some highlights about that, like who you've been able to meet and who's really been interested in your collection over the years?
2: Well, I cannot really say that I have met anybody of great prominence because I never seeked anybody out. And that's, You know, that's really never been my mission, like I'm a one-focused person, and my focus was only on the acquisition of history. And a couple of times I I did lectures on slavery, but, you know, as a teacher, I don't find that hard to do, but it's not what I want to do. And so um, I cannot really say that I've come across or that I've interacted with anyone of great significance And I have always found it to be very challenging to um, move my collection to another level because the African-American museums that exist in America, almost all of them are underfunded. And so they have no money to buy collections. And what most of the African-American history museums did is they celebrate the history of their own geographic area or Mm -hmm. if there's a prominent celebrity connected with their geographic area, they develop a museum around that person. So in my effort to just randomly tell the whole story of African-American history, there's really no place for me to go because, you know, I don't have a target waiting for this product that I developed. And that's the sad reality because now that I am 90 years old, I do need to hope that this can be embraced maybe by a community that has no museum whatsoever and has the money that maybe such a museum will want the collection. And then my other hope is that, you know, we have a lot of very wealthy philanthropic people who love history, maybe one of them would buy this collection and place it where it's needed, and it's needed in a lot of places.
1: Absolutely. That's interesting. You know, the newest museum that's come up and, you know, it has a lot of significance, and I'd like to come go visit one day. You know, you have like the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., and I know they have some powerful um, exhibits there. Have you been in touch with them on on a on regular basis, as, uh, you know, leading up? to the auction, you know, in in terms of like them being interested in acquiring your collection with, you know, even even that museum or other museums?
2: Well, you know, the African American Museum in Washington, the Smithsonian, that's the museum that the federal government paid for, gave them a, a budget in the billions, gave them a staff of workers in the thousands. This project that I've been working on for 65 years, I've done it all by myself, but As far as this wonderful museum in Washington, D.C. is concerned, when you create a museum, you have a mission and a goal. And because they've had such great resources, they have been able to meet their mission goal. So they have plenty of incredibly important, consecrated African-American history material. So Mm -hmm. they don't really need more material. Uh Uh-huh. But they still could be the perfect home for my collection because they don't have everything, just as I certainly don't have everything. And what I do have could be woven into their collection, and they could really take whatever they do not need and help to shore up some of the many other African-American museums that really don't have any material because they never had the money to buy material. So, you know, I still have hopes that maybe there will be outreach to me from the African American Museum in Washington, D.C., but I fully understand where they're at in their own evolution. And ideally, as I said before, this collection should be in a museum where there is a need and a vacancy because they have nothing. And I also would like to say, because naturally I think about the possibilities for where this museum could go, and I feel that it would be a perfect fit for Barack Obama's presidential library, because a presidential library is a source for researchers. It's not something for the public, but why couldn't the Obamas create a museum for the people, right next to their museum for the researcher. They're located in Chicago, a city that desperately could use, you know, an uplift. And this is what this museum is. It's uh, an inspirational uplift and a patriotic healing and teaching instrument. So that would be a wonderful place for the collection to go. But, of course, I can't put my fingers in Barack Obama's pocket and tell him (laughs) that I have something ready for you. You know, you cannot, like people say to me, well, what about your children? Don't they want this collection? The bottom line is you cannot transfer your passion to anybody else. Mm -hmm. There's nobody like me, thank God. And, (laughs) you know, we're all one of a kind. And so, you know... This particular collection and any collection and any interest that a person has, it has to be met by somebody who thinks like they do. And, you know, it's not easy to find that person.
1: Absolutely. You know, you're talking about the collection, you're talking about the passion you have. Real quick, what are, what are one or two items that, that are in your collection that you still think have like a special significance to you?
2: Well, you know, I told you earlier that I started out with sports and then I advanced to military. The military contribution that African Americans have made in this country, when you consider that we were in the military from the 1700s right on up to the present time, those contributions are what I would call consecrated. Again, never been appreciated, never been even acknowledged in the history book. But I happen to have two medals, and the medals are just absolutely loaded with poignant significance. One of the medals is a medal, and it may be, I believe it's the only one of its kind in existence. It's a medal that is shaped like a Liberty Bell, and the medal reads, In honor of Crispus Atox, a Negro, the first to die in the Revolutionary War. And the top of this medal pays tribute to the 54th U.S. Colored Troops from the Civil War. So to know that a medal exists, and I went through hell to get it, this is like something that, you know, fiddles with my heartstrings because I truly know how absolutely significant it is Then I have a second medal, and it's called the Benjamin Butler Medal. In the Civil War, none of the generals wanted to lead black troops, and they complained bitterly to Lincoln, and they said, we are not going to lead no darkies. And Lincoln told him, that is your assignment, you must do it. Mm -hmm. One of these generals was named General Benjamin Butler. And he reluctantly led his troops into battle in Virginia and the St. James River. He was shocked and stunned at the courage of these black troops. And for the only time in American military history, with his own money, he went to Tiffany's, and he had 199 medals created, and he said, I will deliver these medals myself because these troops surely will never get any credit. And he was absolutely right because when the Civil War ended, they had a general review in Washington, D.C. of all of the troops of the Civil War and they did not allow the black, the colored, U.S. colored troops to participate. And Benjamin Butler went before Congress and he said... May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. May my arms fall from my body if I ever have a day in my life when I fail to praise the valor and glory of these colored troops. And those are the two medals that I am not sure I can part with. Wow.
1: You're still the teacher, Miss Meters. You're still quite the teacher. Quite a story. You know I want to transition real quick to respect your time, and I just got a few questions about the auction. How do you feel now that you know that the you know uh, the auction's going to be on on March fifteenth at two p m through the uh, the Guernsey auction house in New York? What are your thoughts as you reflect on on you know the collection moving on?
2: Well, you know I absolutely know that I am of the age where I can't go any further with this. I can't manage my space because this collection is in a house I'm very lucky to have a house that has nine rooms and I have a finished basement and a garage inside the house so that I have been able to adequately house the collection but my house is still bursting at the seams because uh, I collect in other areas as well as this history which you know is not at all related to this history project which I call the African American History Trust but the bottom line is I'm out of years and I'm out of space and even though you know I get great pleasure out of seeing these items that I am surrounded with, you know I have a responsibility to them to see that they receive new life and new embrace and that the public can see them because this is a patriotic healing and teaching collection and the world sadly needs it because when we know about the contributions of all Americans, we can better navigate a multicultural world that we live in. And when you have a people whose history has been completely ignored so that society thinks that instead of being contributors, we're drainers, that's almost criminal. And my mission is to correct that perception.
1: Absolutely. I know you mentioned before and you've talked about it, you know, kind of when you put a collection out at auction though, it's kind of anybody can win, right? It could be it could be an institution, it could be a museum. It could also be a private investor or you know, a private collector I should say, who could very well decide to take your collection and 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 put it somewhere, you know, careful but not show it to the public. Do you fret about that? Is is, is there kind of like that that fear?
2: Well, you know, there's two possibilities that the collection can be a source of glorification for America or it could be a heartbreaking disappointment to me. Those two possibilities exist because I don't even want to talk about the negative possibilities. You know, I just have to Mm. send a prayer out that the collection, you know, this is America and this is an American product. This is a collection that is critically needed. It is the only one of its kind ever created. It is 14 museums in one because the collection is developed around 14 subjects and they are chronologically and comprehensively de- developed to the point where each one could be a museum all by itself a museum of sports, a museum of military, a museum of civil rights, a museum of African-American religion, African-American politics, African-American education, women. So each topic all by itself could be a museum. So to have 14, the entirety of the African-American story in one collection, you know, it's a treasure house and it's a mother load of information for America
1: hundred um, percent, Ms. Mears. Last question. And, you know, I, I this is maybe, you know, it, it's just kind of the, the expectation of the auction. You know, I've seen that your collection has been valued at anywhere between five and $10 million. So that stands to reason that in a couple of weeks, you know, you're going to come upon some life-changing money, right? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about, you know, uh, what that's going to be like when that auction's over, uh, when, when that collection's moving over, people are coming into your home to, to curate and catalog it. And then, you know, you get this windfall from your years of, of collecting. Any thoughts about, you know, what you could possibly do with that?
2: Well, you know, I I don't even understand the nature of the question about money. Everybody knows how to handle money you handle it according to what your philosophy of life is. I believe in charity. I believe in sensible living. And so, you know, money is only another instrument to open another level of life. And you know, it's almost foolish to even suggest that a 90-year-old woman has any extravagant plans for the use of money. It will be as wisely used as every part of my life has ever been.
1: That's amazing. That's great. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Miss Meters. I'm going to be tracking that auction, cheering the collection on, and, and like you said, uh, hoping that, uh, that it does land uh, in the hands of somebody that's going to be able to display it and and really use it as as a, as a educational tool. Um, you know, in memorabilia, obviously I know your African-American collection is is different, but I have noticed that a lot of this stuff is drawing record, uh, record, uh, numbers. So you never know.
2: You do. You never do know. So all I can do is pray.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And, and, uh, and being able to explain, you know, and the passion comes through, uh, you, you kind of understand in talking to you why you've collected uh, for as long as you have. So, uh, so thanks again.
2: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
0: That was a powerful conversation and I can only imagine what it's like to come to terms with letting go of such a collection. Auctions can go in any number of directions and it is my sincere hope that Miss Meter's collection lands in the right hands that the collection will be used for its intended purpose to educate future generations. At we'll be tracking the auction on March 15th, beginning at 2 p.m. through the Guernsey Auction House. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.